Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Eric, sitting in a hotel room in New York, just back from a meeting with a couple of senators who happen to be here in town. So, interesting moment in politics. Joining us by the magic of Skype. Yes, so, it's exciting. I finally figured out after much tutoring from you and Jim Swift how to do this. Famous last words. We'll <laughs> crash here five minutes into this podcast. But. Well, the biggest political news of the week is Jeff Flake's resignation. Um, does that encourage you or do you feel that that's that uh, the opponents to Donald Trump are just surrendering? A little of both. I mean, I've never had a situation where I so much admired a speech and thought it was really an excellent speech, a real contribution to our public discourse. And then thought at the end of the day, however, the net effect of this week is that uh, Jeff Flake took on took on Donald Trump. Donald Trump and his allies took on Jeff Flake and Jeff Flake announced he's retiring from the United States Senate. And that's the basic political truth. Sometimes in politics, you know, simple, simple is best. I mean, the simple lessons are the ones people learn. And I worry that an awful lot of uh, other senators, uh, people running for open seats, people considering political careers, people out in the country, donors, they're all taking the lesson that Trump is too strong to be messed with, at least uh, among Republican primary voters. So I think it was for those of us who would like to see Trump's uh, influence over the Republican elected members of Congress diminished, to see them bending the knee less to Donald Trump, see them speaking up for themselves a little more. I think it was a bad week. One of the things pointed out in a Weekly Standard editorial this week about a, a GOP surrender was a little anecdote uh, that you had noticed about uh, Senator Cornyn. Right. Senator Cornyn uh, was asked about some piece of legislation where he would stand on it. And he, 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 I guess he said, well, where's Donald Trump? And uh, or he was asked, well, where's Trump on it? And Cornyn said, who knows? But I guess I'll be with Trump. You know, there's a kind of fatalism about the fact that Look, Trump is a Republican president. Republican senators and congressmen are used to deferring to Republican presidents, especially in the modern era. And I, th- but, I th- but more so with Trump in the sense that they have less respect for him. They don't agree with him on everything, but they are now just uh, either intimidated by his supporters or they feel that they need to have a success. And so they all need to band together uh, and they desperately need some legislation. So they're going to swallow all their reservations. But I think it's a very short term point of view. I think ultimately voters reward you for, you know, being a real person, standing up for principle, uh, articulating a vision, uh, voting the way you think is right, not just as a party loyalist. And the degree to which the disconnect between people, senators and congressmen, what they say in private and what they say in public has really gotten, there's always some disconnect. That's true in life. That's true in politics. But it's gotten the, the, the uh, disconnects become a chasm. And that can't be healthy over the long term for the party. So in the editorial that uh, I guess Stephen Hayes and I, uh, Steve Hayes and I kind of wrote, uh, went back and forth on and then uh, some excellent editing by our colleagues too. Um, I think it's a good punchy editorial that really does make the case that the people talk about a civil war in the Republican Party, but it's mostly just a surrender to Donald Trump and it's his party. And if you think, if you, if you, ha- if you have a vision of Republicanism, of conservatism that's different from Trump's, it's a it's a bit of a dispiriting moment. It doesn't mean you can't fight back. Doesn't mean you shouldn't fight back. Certainly, doesn't mean that things couldn't change quite fast. I think they they can. But for now, for now, I think it's fair to say that it's Trump's party. And and if I can interject, um, it, those who would like to read the editorial on the surrender of the GOP should go to weeklystandard.com and be sure to check it out. But Bill, Trump would not have this power over the GOP if he didn't have 
um, rank-and-file Republican voters backing him up. No, that's true. And I mean, I think there's both genuine enthusiasm for Trump. He won after uh, McCain and Romney lost. There's some enthusiasm from on some of these issues where he's confronting challenges that other Republicans allegedly at least have ducked and, and speaking up for voters who feel neglected. Uh, some, a lot of it is just party loyalty and, uh, and he's better than uh, President Obama was and he's better than Hillary Clinton would have been. And don't we get more done working together than fighting among each other? That's not a ridiculous point of view. And, and look, the Republicans in Congress have confirmed, I think, all of Donald Trump's nominees and done most of what he uh, wanted, except on the very big things that are harder, like Obamacare, and we'll see what happens on, on tax reform. So I think there's always an impetus to you know, hang together and, and uh, not have uh, fights within the party. Trump's exploited that pretty well. I mean, he's clever when he, on the one hand, he attacks Corker, he attacks Flake, he attacks McCain, uh, he, he attacks Bush and, and Romney and previous nominees and previous presidents. Uh, he veers away from what the party has stood for, which, again, he's entitled to do if that's what he thinks is right. But then he says, but but we have to have party unity, and I stand for party unity, and I want party unity. So it's uh, he wants it both ways, as I suppose most politicians do. Uh, again, what strikes me the most is, is how many of these Republican senators who privately will express uh, – dissatisfaction and concern about his behavior and about some of his policy positions, just swallowing hard and, and going along and even doing more than going along. John Cornyn, the, uh, who's a good man, well-respected uh, uh, senator from Texas, was a judge on the Texas Supreme Court. Uh, he's number two in the Republican leadership. I uh, put out a statement yesterday or the day before uh, supporting Roy Moore in Alabama. I mean, and saying that he was a huge believer in the Constitution. I mean, I don't know, one more I think will be an embarrassment if he comes to the United States Senate. I, I don't begrudge people saying, you know, at the end of the day, better maybe to have a Republican who votes for McConnell than a, a Democrat who votes for Chuck Schumer as majority leader. But you don't have to say that this guy is a great exemplar of constitutionalism. He raises fact, the, uh, the clown show quotient by, by a large amount. Yeah, and you could just sort of stay out of it, you know. But I, the degree to which the kind of pandering to, the, uh, to Trump personally – and to the kind of Bannonite Breitbart element of the party is going on, I think it's going to be very damaging to the party in the medium term. Short term, I guess, it makes your life a little bit easier. So the legislative uh, issue of the week is the budget blueprint got passed, and that sets up tax reform, tax cuts uh, that Republicans are going to push. There's been some debate among analysts going on about whether the divide in the GOP is going to lead to trouble with tax cuts and tax reform, or whether tax reform, tax cuts is the is the glue that might still hold Republicans together. It's the one thing they can kind of agree on and cling to. What's your sense? Yeah, I think more of the latter. I think a lot of the members view this as the one thing they can get done. It's a big thing. Their voters want tax cuts and tax reform. We'll see if they really want the version of it that the Republicans look likely to come up with. I think a lot of this bill will be less popular in reality than it is in theory. People, Republicans have for a long time fought for a simpler tax code and for tax cuts. And as long as it's at that level of generality, this thing could be popular, at least among Republican voters. When they see the details and how these some cuts are being paid for by other increases and the removal of certain exemptions and so forth, I think this thing could run into real trouble. But it is for now, I think, the kind of bright, shiny object. I don't mean to diminish it too much, but I, I think a lot of it is kind of a almost mythical, mystical belief that if we can do this, we're kind of off the hook. I'm not sure they can do it, first of all. And even if they do it, you know, there's the day after problem. They still, okay, so they did it. Then what do they tell the voters when they're running for re-election? That, you know, what are we going to do next? And I think all the fissures re-emerge. So I actually think tax, the tax cut, tax reform debate 
will be tough in its own right, but actually will be a kind of could be a kind of um, interlude for the Republicans where they all get to more or less be on the same side for a while. And uh, at least if they're debating, they're debating about policy details. Um, I think the day after tax reform either fails or even succeeds is when the real sort of crisis in the future of the Republican Party uh, becomes more evident. Now, we've been talking a lot about the crisis in the Republican Party, but you've also been paying attention to what's been going on with the Democratic Party, which uh, hasn't been all buttercups and roses. No, it really hasn't. You know, it's those of us who are Republicans and conservatives and are distressed by uh, Donald Trump being the uh, carrier of Republicanism and conservatism f- focus so much on that, and I do at least, that uh, I don't pay as much attention as I probably should to what's going on in the Democratic Party. They're out of power, so one also has a sense of those fights in a sense who cares about them, but they don't matter that much in terms of actual you know, policy. It's the defection of three Republican senators that, that doomed the Obamacare replacement, uh, not, you know, not, nothing Democrats did. Having said that, um, I was struck, I was at a breakfast in, this, in New York this morning, uh, not a, well, anyway, breakfast with a lot of New York types, you know, donors to both parties, actually, more of a discussion, really, of policy than anything else. A couple of senators came, too. Uh, interesting. I was struck talking to some of the Democrats privately. These tended to be moderate Bill Clinton Democrat types. Um, how worried they are about their party. And I, I just hadn't really focused on how seriously maybe one should take the threat of Tom Steyer, who I think is the biggest Democratic donor in the last cycle or two, uh, to, prime, to fund primary challenges against Democrats who weren't on board. Impeachment of Donald Trump, no matter what, apparently, Bob Mueller finds or doesn't find. Um, so they've got but, their know, own Bannon going on. No, they could. I mean, I think I, I've tended to think that it won't matter as much on the Democratic side. They have very powerful interest groups. The unions, the teachers, the uh, pro-choice groups, uh, the environmental groups, if they all kind of band behind, let's just say, a Democratic congressman in, in a district, I, it's hard, it seems to me, or it has been hard in the past maybe for you know insurgents from the left to really topple that person. But we, that may have changed. I mean, look at the Sanders campaign, all the money that was raised online. I mean, what if some congressman catches on as a kind of a, a Bernie Sanders Jr. type or a congressional challenger? against, let's say, a more moderate incumbent Democrat, raises $2 million online in one one day. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what happens on the Democratic side as well as the Republican side this year. A candidate running against Dianne Feinstein because she had merely said a few anodyne things about Donald Trump. Yeah, and they're going to make sort of opposing everything, I suppose, uh, Trump does a kind of litmus test. Someone I know, uh, one fellow at this breakfast said that one Democratic congressman is being attacked from the left in his district. He voted for some piece of legislation that had huge bipartisan support. It was something I can't remember, honestly, that was, you know, kind of the thing that it kind of bill that everyone votes for. It had in it a little bit something Trump had asked for, a little token kind of nod to, you know, give the Trump Republicans a kind of a, a excuse to vote for it. And they're just hammering him in his district for voting for this bill, even though it got, you know, 350 votes or something. I mean, it's not like it was a very, you know, he wasn't defecting to the Republicans or so, you know. But so I, I think they could have their own form of an insurgency. We'll see how much it takes off. I think they, they are united by their great dislike of Trump and great hope of taking back the House and perhaps the Senate. And that tends to keep the opposition party sometimes a little more in sync as long as the main thing they can do is oppose. But I think for 2020, for 2020, the Democrats have a real problem that is that those of us on the Republican and conservative side, they all look kind of liberal to us, you know, so, so we don't really see how big those gaps look from within the Democratic Party. And I think those will really come out in the Democratic presidential race of 2020. 
Well, Bill, politics these days is dismal, but uh, there is still hope that America is what America should be if you watch the World Series, which has been so far absolutely fabulous. Yeah, I watched the second game in my uh, hotel room here in New York, I guess, uh, two nights ago. And, um, you know, I kind of thought, well, it was 3-1, eighth inning, probably going to end soon, going to sort of start to doze off a little bit. And then suddenly it's 3-2, and then 3-3 in the ninth, and then 5-3, then 5-5, then 7-5, then 7-6 at the end of the game after the in the 11th. I mean, really an astonishing game. And it's been a great, good postseason generally for baseball. It's been a great, I, I joked somewhere that uh, – We've had a bad year and a half, in my opinion, in politics, but a very, very good year and a half in sports. I mean, fantastic Super Bowl comeback with Brady, a fantastic comeback uh, in the NBA championship a year ago um, uh, from a three-to-one deficit. Uh, what up with the great college football championship game? I mean, it's funny. We had a, a year in sports that was really uh, terrific, and then and now I think a good, very good year in baseball, lots of interesting players. Baseball is the sport, though. I think that is my contention the american sport the best sport most interesting sport in so many ways and you see a game like that game the other night uh, wednesday night and you really reminded that there's a kind of uh, excitement and tension and strategy and in baseball that there's no clock uh team can always come back at least in theory it, it really is a it's, i give a lot of i don't i guess i guess it's a i don't know i don't really know who really invented it i guess you know obviously there's Abner double day and all that but i think maybe that's a bit of a bit of a kind of legend but it's uh, it's impressive that that game just kind of came out of nowhere i guess it came out of cricket sort of but and uh, has become so established it's not a game that's ever really taken off unlike basketball you know it hasn't gone international nearly as much it has some in japan obviously a little bit in asia certainly in central america but um it's an interesting, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, not, I'm going on too long about baseball, but I, uh, it is a nice thing to talk about instead of politics. And it's, it's remarkable in a time where, you know, football has been so marred this year by politics and by Donald Trump's intrusion into the game. Um, and it's remarkable that, uh, that baseball has remained above it somehow. Totally charming. You know, you're right. I mean, you now watch the beginning of a football game. I haven't watched that much, but occasionally. And you dread, you know, the national anthem. Will people sit, stand or kneel or not kneel? And who's, you know, who's going to comment on that? And then plus there are other issues with the NFL, both the, the pace of play and the refereeing and also the injuries, concussions. Uh, you watch the beginning of the World Series game the other night. And there's Vince Scully, 90 years old, on the mound, totally eloquent, joking around with Fernando Valenzuela. And you really think... Yeah, this is this was something that was a really remarkable moment. People might want to go see that if they missed it on, on YouTube. Really, he's a fantastic. Was a fantastic, of course, announcer. Uh, I remember we put up on our website about a year ago when he retired. Um, the uh, his call of Sandy Koufax, the last half inning of Sandy Koufax's perfect game in, in September of 1965, which is really poetry, you know, as as baseball announcing. So uh, it was great to see Vince Scully out there and. Uh, it's great that we have several more games of the World Series to go. I will say the one thing that I see as a threat to the game is the intrusion of video replay and relitigation of calls that have been made. One of the great things about baseball has always been that umpires have what philosophers of language call performative authority. Somebody isn't out because they get tagged. He's out because the umpire calls him out. And um, now we have this situation where... 
Um, there are video replays, and the, it, the risk, it just feels to me, is you get that kind of thing that's been going on and ruining football for some time, where every really good play, instead of being exciting in the moment, leads to having to step back and relitigate um, the evidence of the play, which undermines to me the immediacy of the game. That's very well said. We're both conservatives, so we dislike all these innovations. But that, that was a good point. You should write that up. That's a good, that would be a good piece for the Weekly Standard. All right. Well, Bill, thanks so much for joining us this week on the Crystal Clear Podcast. Thanks, Eric. Support for the Crystal Clear Podcast comes from the Great Courses Plus. They've got a new series on the Supreme Court. You know, the Supreme Court may be one of the most prestigious judicial institutions in the world, but it didn't start out that way. In the early years, they only decided a few cases at a time, and most of the justices resented the long travel and bad accommodations. Several even resigned because of it. Check out The Great Courses Plus fascinating course on the history of the Supreme Court to learn more about this and so much more. One lecture in that course you should watch is called Court Packing Constitutional Revolution. This lecture looks at both President Roosevelt's attempt to pack the court to ensure a passage of his proposals and the effects of the constitutional revolution unleashed by key 1937 decisions. The Great Courses Plus is lifelong learning at its best. Learn more about anything that interests you from some of the best professors in the world. Explore topics like history, science, music. The options are endless. There's an unlimited access to over 8,500 lectures. You can watch the videos from any TV, laptop, or mobile device. And now you can stream the audio versions, too, with the Great Courses Plus app. I know you're going to enjoy the Great Courses Plus as much as I do. So they're offering our listeners an entire month to enjoy all of their lectures for free. But you need to sign up using our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash standard. Start your free month today. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash standard. That's it for this week's Crystal Clear Podcast. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.